And we welcome you to the Friday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. And on this stormy, rainy day, I do appreciate that my faculty colleague from Carthage, Dr. Jerry Mast, Associate Professor of Political Science, has made his way to our studios to uh, join me for our first conversation in actually quite some time, and a conversation that I think uh, will have no shortage of talking points. These are really interesting times in which we live, especially for anybody who is in the political science business, teaching political science and trying to make sense of what is going on uh, in our country right now, particularly at the highest levels uh, of our government with this impeachment inquiry uh, under underway. So we're, without much further ado, going to get right into some really important topics and issues and questions. Professor Mast, we welcome you back to the morning show. Thanks, Greg. It's always good to be here. So... Talk about these interesting times in which we live and in which you are teaching political science. What does it feel like for you professionally as opposed to, let's say, five or ten years ago? And what's going on in the classroom right now? Uh, well, um, I, I guess you could say that the, today's weather is a bit of a metaphor for um, the, the, the political times um, and the challenges associated with trying to teach this. Uh, the the Tuesday Thursday two p.m. students of American political um, uh, American government um, would like a shout out. So I know that some of them are listening. Uh, good morning, students. Uh, do your homework this weekend. Enjoy homecoming, but uh, don't enjoy it too much. Um, it is a challenge in the sense that uh, you know we're watching very um, important developments in real time, and 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 so the. The challenge of political science uh, is to try to, to, to weed through a lot of kind of subjective opinion and describe what's happening uh, in the political world um, as, as fairly and accurately as, as one can. Um, and having a, a good deal of hindsight helps uh, in, in that respect. And so when you're trying to, to, to analyze something in the moment, um, there's an enormous amount of uncertainty uh, that comes into it, uh, and when you're trying to to make sense of the uncertainty, uh, as a, a political um, scientist, you you have to kind of a ask yourself, um, is 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 my judgment of th th uh, this uncertainty? Am I trying to 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 shed light here, motivated by? Um, evidence and, and theoretical understanding that has kind of stood the test of, 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 of um, peer review and, and the judgment of, of multiple scholars, or does it reflect your own kind of personal bias? And, and so um, I don't think that, that anyone can completely and totally ratchet out um, kind of personal feelings from the process of analysis. Uh, scientists, social science uh, scientists or otherwise, um, are not robots, uh, and so you're, you're you're trying to make sense of a, a very complicated um, uh, phenomenon, and uh, you know you have to make certain kinds of judgments um, that are a combination of of both professional um, uh, uh, rigor, uh, but also are going to, on some level, um, be the outcome of your own kind of natural reaction. To it, and so you try to limit the latter and 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 emphasize the, the former, and you know be as as humble as you can about what it is that you're saying. Right. What about the 
pure and simple matter of fear and of being fearful of what is going on right now and what it might mean for our country and, and the uncertainty about exactly what is ahead of us. And um, for you as a teacher, how do you factor in that your own deep concerns, which I know you have, uh, about where this could potentially lead us and so on. And what about your students? Are any of them, in a sense, frightened for the future of our democracy and our our country uh, in light of of what's going on right now? Um, The the short and and easy and correct answer is yes. Uh, There are plenty of students who are worried about this. uh, for a variety of reasons. And I think on some level, all citizens should um, feel that way and, and I think do, actually. The, the level of, of anxiety um, in the country seems to be on the rise. Uh, the, and if you look at the, the, the survey data on, on public opinion and, and political perspectives, uh, it's quite clear. Americans are worried and becoming more worried. And I think that in some sense, that's a good thing, uh, because in a, a, a democratic society, um, fear can um, be a motivating factor to understanding, right? To try to better understand what it is that's going on, uh, and um, an impetus to, to do something about it, to, to, to correct the, the, the problems. Fear is also dangerous in the sense that it can undermine trust, uh, and so if you look at um, the way in which the two parties perceive each other. Um, the Pew Research Center is an excellent organization um, that has been um, studying pl- American p- public attitudes for a very long time, and they have done some really good work on polarization. They have a, a, a report out um, just this week, a new one on this, and unfortunately it kind of verifies the kind of the, the ongoing trend of, of increasing animosity b- across the, the parties. And, and to the extent that 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 big political parties view each other um, in in an, an, with animus, right? The 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 their inability um, to trust each other gets worse, right? And so uh, there is, in fact, um, interesting research on on how democracies deteriorate and degrade, and and fear uh, within the electorate of each other. Um, is one of those things because it, it motivates a, a willingness to tolerate undemocratic kinds of actions um, mm. s- so long as those undemocratic actions are perceived to be uh, at limiting the influence of those who are, are, are feared, mm. uh, right? And so um, fear is both uh, potentially useful and potentially dangerous. And so you know, trying to understand it as best we can, I think, is critically important. And that's how, how I, I approach it uh, in the classroom. Let's try to understand, you know, the, the, the things that we're confronted with um, better than we, you know, have to this point. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with Dr. Jerry Mast from the Political Science Faculty at Carthage College. Uh, so let's talk about the deeds that have uh, landed President Trump in trouble that is, uh, deeds which have led to the beginning of this impeachment inquiry. And uh, I want you to describe what he has done and what he has admitted to doing, and, uh, and then maybe we can uh, talk a little bit about how those actions are being, of course, deeply criticized right. on the one side, 
and and being in a sense defended or explained by the other side. Right. Well, I mean, it seems uh, that at the very beginning of this year, um, uh, supporters of the president, um, including um, former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, began the process of reaching out to. Um, the Ukrainian government to influence um, the government in a direction that would result in the investigation of, of Vice, former Vice President Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. Um, and then uh, this summer, uh, it, it, there was a, a point at which um, the president suspended the delivery of uh, $400 million appropriated by Congress as aid to the Ukraine. The president ordered that money suspended. And then in a phone call with President Zelensky, uh, um, President Trump, uh, they discussed the the aid that that, that Ukraine needed in in its kind of ongoing conflict with Russia. President Trump said that, you know, the United States has been helpful um, to Ukraine in the past, but it's, this has been a kind of a one-sided uh, direction of help, and that he would like a favor, uh, and and that favor would be um, uh, a, 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 an investigation into um, Mr. Biden uh, and 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 his son, and so the the this has all been revealed by. Um, a whistleblower report. The White House has acknowledged that this conversation took place. Uh, a, a rough uh, transcript of the conversation um, has been released by the White House, and so the 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 argument, right, that um, that the president has engaged in something that may, in fact, be impeachable, right, looks centers on the 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 pressuring of a foreign government to deliver something that would be useful uh, to the president in, in the election, right? And so if we look at, at Title 52 of the U.S. Code, this is Section 301.121, it shall be unlawful for, it reads, the law reads, a foreign national directly or indirectly to make a contribution of don- or donation of money or anything of value to make an express or implied promise to make a contribution or donation in a f- connection with a federal, state, or local election. It continues and says, it shall be unlawful for a person to solicit, accept, or receive a contribution or donation described uh, above from a foreign national. So um, it is a violation of, of federal election law to, to solicit or accept support from a, a foreign national, let alone a foreign government, uh, in, in a foreign election. So um, there's that, right? That's the kind of the, the, the real motivating um, concern on the part of the whistleblower uh, and a number of other persons who were privy to the conversation at the time to, to, to reach out and express their concerns. And that's what's being investigated. Um, so aside from the, the, the violation of the law, one might ask, why is it so bad, right, that someone would accept influence from a foreign national with respect to a federal election? And I think that, that, that if we reflect on this, that's, it, 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 we can see that there's a case that this is indeed really egregious uh, and very bad indeed, right? Because elections are the mechanism by which the electorate expresses its will. To the extent that the American political system possesses popular sovereignty, it is through a, a legitimate and, and, and uh, valid electoral process that possesses integrity. Um, when foreign influences enter into the process to help determine the outcome of an election, 
then the, the, the popular sovereignty is diluted, right? The outcome is, is not so much a reflection of what the American electorate thinks, but the American electorate in combination with in, uh, foreign influences. Which and made, what they want. Right, and what they want. Their interests are not necessarily the same as ours. I think it would be foolish to assume that, assume that they are. It'd be foolish to assume that that Russia wants the best for the United States or that China wants the best for the United States or whoever. So so worry about foreign intervention in American politics is longstanding. The founders spoke about it repeatedly. Um, And and the federal election law that I just cited is meant to try to limit that kind of influence to make sure that our elections reflect really what what we think uh, rather than um, we and in combination with with foreign uh, sources. Before we talk about the way in which these actions by Mr. Trump have been defended by his supporters, uh, can you explain why President Trump has, at least on some occasions, spoken so openly about this? I mean, seemingly with no concern that, that what he did, that this phone call, for instance, Represented anything uh, illegal or or uh, or out of bounds or unfortunate right. in any right. respect. Right. In fact, uh, he 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 followed up assertions to, to that effect uh, on the White House lawn with a call for China to investigate um, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Um, so it, it seems to me that he he either doesn't understand the the argument that foreign in influence over elections is is bad or he is judging that it, that he can make the case that they're not um, with enough American voters now he's argue he has argued uh, different things at different times at one point he has argued that um, you know he, this isn't about the election this is about corruption right and so his defenders have picked up this line of argument and, and said that that he's not guilty of violating Title 52 of the U.S. Code because the 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 solicitation of of an investigation into Joe and, and Hunter Biden isn't motivated by any desire to influence the election, but rather motivated by a desire to end corruption. Right. And it, and the fact that Joe Biden is at the moment his chief political rival is then, in a sense, just a, a coincidence. Well, that's what you have to accept, right, <laughs> right. To, 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 to follow this line of argument. Um, and, you know, the, the, the basis of, of is there any basis to worrying about the fact that um, the, the former vice president's son sits on a, a, a board of directors? I think, yes, uh, that, that raises some, some questions about the propriety, right? Um, there's a really good uh, piece this summer um, in – July, I believe, um, from the New Yorker, looking at Hunter Biden, giving a kind of profile of who he, who he is, and and whether or not um, he will have a, a negative impact on on Joe Biden's um, pursuit of the Democratic nomination. Uh, and in that piece, that fairly lengthy piece, um, discussing you know the propriety of powerful uh, the, the sons of powerful American political figures receiving positions of influence in that they in would otherwise countries. never get <laughs> right yeah. yes um, uh, is is this something to worry about and I think that the answer is yes um, the the article makes a reference to the, this characterization called corruption by proxy that is to say um, 
it is it is a kind of an indirect form of, of corruption that powerful the people around powerful people um, somehow are given access to opportunities that other people are not. Um, I, I think that what makes the profile of Hunter Biden in the, in the New Yorker particularly interesting is that Hunter Biden himself is an interesting person. Um, I mean, is he unqualified to serve as, as on the board of directors to this natural gas operation in, in the Ukraine? I, it's not clear to me that he, he is unqualified. Um, he had a degree from Georgetown, a law degree from Yale. He worked for uh, MB&A, the bank, um, rising to the level of vice president. Uh, he left that to work in the Commerce Department under Bill Clinton doing um, policy uh, analysis and, and, and promotion. He did work as a lobbyist together with a couple of other people, including um, uh, John Kerry's stepson. He started a, a consultancy uh, that did international um, kind of business consulting. So, you know, it's 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 not like there's, he, there's nothing on his resume. Now, does that mean that that he would have gotten that position if he weren't, you know, the son of the vice president of the United States? No, I doubt that, right? I mean, I think that the, the connection to his father very important um, and open doors, but uh, you know it's it's a complicated situation. Sure. Well, there are complicated situations all over the world, and all kinds of points of potential corruption or questionable practices, and right. so on. But of all of those, for the president to be bringing uh, the State Department and the Department of Justice uh, into this effort specifically for Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, I mean. Right. Why this particular right. point? That's the important question. And, 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 and if you look at the, 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 the administration's track record outside of this, I mean, it's pretty thin with respect to trying to stop corruption. There right. doesn't seem to be any uh, concerted effort to um, increase uh, the executive branch's efforts to stifle corruption. In fact, one of President Trump's first acts as, as president was to sign into law um, a bill that uh, rescinded rules on the oil industry in terms of reporting uh, their donations to foreign governments, which was meant to, to, to limit or, or slow down or make corruption less likely. So, hmm. you know, the, the, the pl- at some point, Americans have to kind of judge the plausibility of, of some of these claims. Um, and, and who is to benefit from such an investigation? I mean, do right. we as a country right. benefit from Joe and Hunter Biden being investigated? Or does the president politically benefit from such an investigation? Right. So the claims on the part of the president or his uh, defenders that that this has nothing to do with uh, influencing the 2020 election, that it is really just about uh, corruption, uh, um, don't strike me at this point as particularly credible. One of the uh, challenges for those who support President Trump and, and believe that he has either done nothing wrong or nothing that is rises to the level of being impeachable is in a sense, shifting defenses, and you've already touched on the fact that the president himself has shifted ground a little bit in the way that he has characterized what he did and why it is not wrong or not impeachable or or so on. And so his defenders are in an uncomfortable position as well because of that shifting ground. Yeah, I think that this is a a real challenge to working for President Trump uh, and working with him um, and and his, his... his willingness to shift, his willingness to to uh, take a line of argument that that 
deviates from from what he's done before. His refusal to kind of lay out a, a larger vision predicated in, in policy objectives or political principles and so forth all make it difficult to know exactly um, what it is you're trying to defend other than the man himself. And so um, uh, that is a real challenge. One of the important points here is how the American public is viewing all of this. And ahead of us talking about what is going to likely unfold in terms of the impeachment inquiry itself and what has already unfolded, let's talk for a moment about the fact that there seems to be an increasing number of American people, including people who are uh, more to the right than the left, who seem to have serious misgivings about what the president has done and who support an, uh, an impeachment inquiry and, and a rising number of people who are already feeling like uh, even impeachment and removal from office is what they would like to see. Uh, First of all, maybe you can help us understand just how significant a shift are we seeing right. and why are we seeing this kind of movement now versus n nearly no movement at all in, in, in other controversies that have dogged the president before this? Why is this moving the needle on a public opinion uh, uh, so dramatically. Yeah, um, Re Republican uh, pollster and political analysis with Ayers said this a few weeks ago, and I think he's right, uh, that um, that a lot of this is mostly going to hinge on, a, on the, the attitudes of a relatively small sliver of the public uh, who are um, have been in the last several years, <clears throat> excuse me, opposed to impeachment, but not um, supportive of the president. And so um, President Trump's approval numbers have been fairly consistent in the low 40s, um, but support for impeachment kind of mirrors that, right? So um, there, there has not been support for uh, impeachment higher than the low 40s. <clears throat> and so what that means is there are some people, right, who, who disapprove of the president, uh, but, but don't support impeachment. And what happens to their view of all of this may really have big impacts on on. Um, the outcome of, of, of a Senate trial. Uh, and, you know, the, the, what we've seen in, in just this past week is that the percentage of Americans uh, supporting um, the, the inquiry and impeachment and removal has shot up by, you know, upwards of 10, 12 percent. Um, Fox News poll this week reported the number of American voters, registered voters, um, uh, who support impeachment and removal, they found it to be 51%, with, of course, a standard mar margin of error applying. So is it a majority? It's not clear, um, but it's close if it isn't. And it's certainly a bigger number than we have ever seen before. Correct, right. And so, so um, the overall distribution of opinion on this um, is, is fluid. It's dynamic. It's moving. And it's not moving right now in a direction... Um, supporting the president in this regard. Right. And what is your best guess on why this issue is galvanizing this movement of a public opinion, unlike any controversies before? Well, uh, uh, the fact that there are all these other controversies may um, matter, right? So maybe this is a straw that um, has is, is breaking a, a, a weakened back. I don't know that for sure, but um, it certainly makes a certain amount of sense. Uh, I guess let's compare it to um, the the 
the issues that the Mueller investigation looked at, right? So the the, the Mueller investigation looked into um, the influence of, of Russian authorities on the 2016 election. And what the Mueller report concluded was that the Russians did try to influence uh, the, the election, that they tried to influence on behalf of President Trump, that the tr- Trump campaign met multiple times with various uh, Russian proxies, but there wasn't enough evidence to establish that the president actively solicited their help. Um, and so, uh, you know, they, they said that, you know, there, there, there could, they didn't find um, a, a case to be made that the president solicited or colluded with Russians to help sway the outcome of, of, of the election. Um, nonetheless, right, that's not a, an exoneration, right? The, 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 there was a foreign government that tried to influence the 2016 election, and the Trump uh, campaign knew about it, right? Um, so that the fact that, that the Mueller investigation r- resulted in what is fairly damning um, information for the president, right? They laid out a number of instances in which it seems that the president tried to obstruct the investigation into um, Russian in- interference, but noted that there is this Department of Justice rule that sitting presidents shall not be indicted, and so they didn't you know, recommend indictment because there is there's a, this rule that pro- prohibits it. The fact that the Mueller report came out, right, illustrating a fair number of disturbing things about the Trump administration and yet uh, resulted in no kind of legal um, consequence to to the president uh, left, I think, um, a fair uh, number of Americans confused and and bewildered, right? And so when when the Ukrainian issue um, comes up, right, here we have what appears to be a fair amount of evidence that the president did, in fact, solicit in, in, in involvement on the part of, of a foreign government into the upcoming presidential election. And the president himself has acknowledged that he had this conversation, right? And so the, all of a sudden, the case that, that there wasn't – the case that the president – um, has 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 run afoul of federal election law and sought foreign interference becomes much stronger than it was uh, mm. with respect to the Russian situation. What's interesting to me is how this the the way he the president reached out to Ukraine, which on the surface would seem to have everything to do with 2020, uh, in some respects seems to have nearly as much to do with 2016. That is the possibility of trying to create a case in which that interference in 2016 actually was not from the Russians, right, the, but was in the, fact the from, yeah, from and, Ukraine, and that this has all been an elaborate sort of framing uh, sort of <laughs> enterprise. But that's really I- an intriguing possibility here because it, it, it points to what I think a lot of people have acknowledged as the president's preoccupation with this entire charge that that he won in 2016 because of Russian interference. And I think a persuasive case can be made that he might very well have won that election anyway without that Russian interference, but that somehow taints his victory in a way that he really finds uh, uh, unacceptable. I think that's very true, right? I mean, and it, it's not just the, 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 the taint of f- foreign interference. Um, he lost the popular vote, right? And so he's tried to, to delegitimize um, the popular vote by 
describing that outcome as the reflection of illegal um, uh, aliens voting uh, improperly in the election. So, yeah, I think he is very much motivated to um, recast this this Russian involvement uh, story as as a hoax, right? It's it's, it's all made up. Um, when you know the, the National Security Agency, the CIA, uh, a, a number of uh, intelligence agencies have looked into this and concluded, right, that, that it was in fact Russia. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the president is pushing a line of argument very much in contrast to the intelligence community is itself a fairly, um, you know, controversial, one might once upon a time call it scandalous uh, thing. And so the, the, the president may, in fact, be, be very um, much motivated for vindication uh, in, in, in that angle of it as well. Right. One difficulty that President Trump is facing right now, it seems to me, is not just the defection of a number of his supporters just in the population in terms of the poll numbers that you just cited, that there seem to be a increasing number of Americans who have grave misgivings about what the president has done in this instance. But there also seem to be instances in which there are also, even within the government, people that are defecting. I'm not talking about necessarily um, diehard supporters of, the, of President Trump on Capitol Hill, but more people who, within the government right. who seem to be increasingly willing to uh, air grievances or or or, or reveal uh, right. other right. Uh, difficult <laughs> uh, realities. Can you just speak to that? Yeah, well, I think that this uh, pulls into um, the conversation these conspiracy theories about the deep state, right? That there are there is this this kind of well-coordinated cabal of, of, of um, bureaucrats that are, are running things and that, that they're somehow uh, uh, undermining democracy by ca- trying to cancel uh, the 2016 election um, but by resisting uh, uh, President Trump. Um, and I think that that is a, a wild overstatement of, of, of the situation. What is true about the executive branch, right, is that every president is surrounded by White House staff that they hire, and the White House staff have a loyalty to the president who, who, who hires them. That's true of, of every president. The man or woman who is president Correct. at the time. Correct. Their loyalties lie with the president. Um, but the the since World War II, the professional office of the, the uh, executive has evolved, and, and there are many people who work for the president. Um, in the Office of Management and Budget, the National Security Council are two kind of high-profile examples, but there's really many people who are career civil servants working in the executive branch, and their loyalty is to the office of the presidency. And there's a real difference between the presidency and the pre- any given president, right? And so um, when you're a, a, an intelligence officer sitting in on a, on a phone call, which is, you know, standard protocol, listening to the president engage in a conversation with a foreign head of state, um, you have some loyalties to the president, but but your paramount um, loyalty is to the Constitution and to the presidency. And so what what, what, what seems to be the case, right, is that a number of these people who were privy to this phone call... um, heard things that they found disturbing and, and, and alarming and inconsistent with proper behavior in a president. And so 
by reaching out and contacting somebody in apparently the, the, the Central Intelligence Agency who then wrote a report based on um, multiple sources who communicated with him or her, right, filed their, this report with the Intelligence Community Inspector General. So that's kind of how all of this came about. And and President Trump and his defenders are, are very frustrated with um, the executive branch in a sense that um, there are a number of people who feel that the president is deviating from norms and traditions and, and at times, right, as the Ukraine situ- scenario um, illustrates, deviating from the public interest. Hmm. You wonder if this is for somebody who, who has never held political office before of any kind at any level, you wonder if uh, that kind of distinction is probably difficult for somebody like Donald Trump, who has always been in the world of business and pretty much always been the boss. And that just means something very, very different than it means to be the president of the United States and head of this really complicated government along with all of its checks and balances. That that must seem like a very foreign lang- landscape to him. Correct. And I think th- th- that's a super important point. And I think that when the you know, the dust settles on the kind of the historical analysis of, of, of President Trump and, and his presidency, um, they're going to find th- that this has been an, uh, one of the factors explaining why he's, he's done some of the things he's done. That is to say, when one occupies a role in which you have responsibilities to represent both, you know, m- multiple other people and institutions, right, that requires a certain amount of thinking and and action that is distinct from what you would do as a private individual. So whether you're, you know, a department chair at a college or the the Senate chair at a college or or, uh, uh, the the shop steward at 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 a factory, right, you may have your own personal opinions and your own personal opinions may in fact influence what you 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 decide to say and, and do. But but you also have to take into account other perspectives, other interests, and and give them their due, right? In thinking about what it is that you say and 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 the actions that you take, and I think that one of the roles of the presidency that Mr. Trump doesn't quite understand well enough is this role of chief of state. The chief of state is means that he is the president for everybody, and that re- re- involves taking into account the opinions not just of those who support you fervently but the opinions of those who don't support you and 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 being honest about what their perspectives are and trying to seriously and 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 honestly take into account what they think so that they're they may not agree with the things that you say and do but they feel like their opinions still in some sense are legitimate and 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 they matter to their government. Because it is everybody's government. We're speaking with Dr. Jerry Mast from the political science faculty at Carthage College as we enter our last uh, last quarter of this program. Um, we should talk about the nature of this impeachment inquiry that is currently underway. And, and it's really interesting also that Speaker Nancy Pelosi was feeling intense pressure from certain quarters of her party uh, to begin an impeachment inquiry long before this, but she chose this moment. And uh, I think a number of people, even some who have often criticized her, are, are seeing maybe now that there was some wisdom 
in waiting for this moment and for this particular matter to uh, to be revealed uh, to begin impeachment. Right. I mean, it's important to remember that, that impeachment is a, a political uh, tool, right? It is a political uh, uh, act. And by political, I don't mean partisan. I mean it has impact and uh, 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 consequences for everybody, for, for, for all, all of the, the, the entire nation. Um, let's just re- reflect really briefly on, on what Alexander Hamilton had to say about, about the purpose of impeachment. Hamilton said that impeachment exists for those offenses, quote, those offenses which proceed from the misconduct of public men, or in other words, from the abuse and violation of some public trust. They are of a nature which may, with peculiar propriety, be denominated political as they relate chiefly to injuries done immediately to society itself. And so um, what Hamilton is saying there is that that impeachment is is designed to for the misuse of the office for abuse of power that can involve illegal activity um, but it doesn't necessarily have to involve illegal activity and not all illegal activity has to rise to the level of of abuse of power or, mm. or misuse of the of the of authority uh, in in the office and so um, there's that. And I think Ms. Pelosi um, understands, right, that on some level the case against uh, <coughs> President Trump with respect to uh, impeachment has to rest on this idea of abusing the office, abusing power. And she's been really hesitant to move on, on this, I believe, because she doesn't see uh, enough hope that the political case can be made to the American electorate overall. Now, um, she's come under a great deal of criticism within her own party over this, right? Um, uh, and in fact, in the week prior just to um, her announcement that um, impeachment inquiry would begin, Representative uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was uh, on national public radio in, a, in an interview um, in which, you know, she said that the the Democrats' f- refusal to impeach the president is in some ways worse than the abuse of the office that the president um, deserves impeachment for, mm-hmm. right? So um, she's she was very much l- leveling uh, her, her sights on, on the speaker um, for this kind of reticence. Uh, and, you know, I think that... Um, that's an indication, right, of, of conflict within the Democratic Party over this very thing, right? One of the things that um, my, my classes are, are, are discussing and examining is, is what is the impact of polarization on the parties themselves? And one mm-hmm. of the impacts of polarization on the parties themselves is that they become more homogenous internally, right? So the, the mm-hmm. Republican Party is becoming more consistently conservative. The Democratic Party is becoming more consistently liberal, right? So that that's happening for sure. But because that's happening, we shouldn't assume that there aren't deep and, and, and significant conflicts within the parties themselves, which, which there definitely are. Yeah, we're uh, seeing right that, now. aren't we? And, and on both sides. On both in sides. In some ways, yeah. Of course, one of the things that is making now all of this seem even more dramatic and also a little more unpredictable in terms of where all this is going is the letter that was uh, sent, I don't believe, I don't remember if it was sent to Speaker Pelosi or to Adam Schiff or... Both of them, I believe. Okay, but a letter from uh, from a White House lawyer basically saying that uh, the president and those closest to him are refusing to cooperate and do not intend to participate 
in this impeachment process. What do you suspect is behind that decision that they have made, which a decision which, of course, among other things, leads them potentially open to further charges of obstruction of justice, which is a really serious matter. Right. I, I think their position is, in fact, handing over another article of impeachment, um, right? Uh, and, and, and given that it is, and let's remember that um, one of the articles of impeachment being drawn up against um, President Nixon was obstruction of Congress, right? So this is, this is very much in keeping um, with that. Now, uh, why? What? what uh, th- th- they take this route? I mean, I don't know the answer, but I think that 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 it's logical to assume that it's the result of some political calculus. That that th- taking this approach of, of kind of stonewalling the Congress on this is is less damaging than cooperating with the Congress will be. Right. So, mm. you know, it, it, it raises the question, well, there must be something that they have to hide uh, that they don't want um, to come out that cooperation would, in fact, shed light on. Um, it's a, a gamble. Right. That that by casting impeachment as illegitimate, um, there will be sufficient numbers of Republicans who refuse to support it so that there will be fewer than 20 Republican senators in the Senate who will vote to convict. Hmm. Um, it seems to me a fairly desperate um, gambit uh, with respect to the kind of the political fallout for the country as a whole. Um, but one that actually uh, might work hmm. um, because while I think impeachment is almost certainly going to happen uh, in the House. The votes are, are, are there. The, the, there certainly seems enough evidence that's already been um, uh, uh, exposed to warrant it. Um, whether or not that will result in, in removal from the office uh, in the Senate, that is a, a much, much, much more um, uncertain kind of outcome. Um, in fact, it seems unlikely to me. Right. What about the possibility that has been raised that there might actually be an impeachment inquiry as well for, for instance, Attorney General William Barr? Um, first of all, is that something that the House can do? Can they impeach the Attorney General as readily as they could potentially impeach the President himself? And uh, how unprecedented would that be? Well, they sure can. Uh, impeach him um, if they choose to try to do so. Um, and again, the, the grounds for doing so would be their judgment that he has abused the, the, the responsibilities of his office. It's a misuse of his office, abusing power, and so forth. Um, and uh, attorney generals are supposed to you know, execute the law faithfully uh, as the law says. And if an attorney general fails to execute the law faithfully and instead works on behalf of a president, um, something that we can note President Trump has asked for when he is his attorney general was, was um, uh, uh, attorney general, um, a, a pre- previous attorney general, um, then, then, yeah, I mean, there, there's a case to be made that the, the attorney general is, is, is misusing the powers of his office. Does it happen very often? No, it, it's very rare. Although um, uh, in 1992, the, the House impeached and the Senate removed a federal judge, uh, a judge who happened to be named Nixon, uh, Walter mm. Nixon. Mm. Um, and in that case, 
Judge Nixon um, sued the government uh, by arguing that the Senate failed to give him due process um, by stating that uh, it was only a committee of the Senate that voted to remove him, not the whole Senate. His argument, Mm -hmm. the whole Senate's required to do so. And the Supreme Court argued, um, no, uh, that that the, the powers of impeachment and the processes of impeachment are solely up to the House to decide and that the powers and, and, and uh, processes of conviction are solely um, the, the possession of the Senate. Uh, to figure out, and that it's not the role of the courts to tell them that they have to do this or that. And so the the letter that the White House counsel sent to Ms. Pelosi and Mr. Schiff, um, kind of complaining about a lack of due process on the, the part of the House with respect to not holding a vote uh, to begin the in, in, in impeachment inquiry by not giving the president um, con- due process associated with the rights of the accused, the right to cross-examine witnesses, the call witnesses, um, uh, and so forth. None of those things are, 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 are a requirement uh, of impeachment, right? So the, 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 the Constitution is, is, is very vague on this. The, the, the House has the powers of impeachment. The House will figure out um, what that entails. Uh, there are no rules of the House that they have to hold a vote in this regard. And so this idea of due process um, with respect to the courts having the authority to intervene and insist upon it, there's not a good case, not a good legal case anyway, um, that the House is in violation of any of that. And, of course, we haven't even touched on the fact that uh, I've heard at least a few voices calling for the impeachment of Vice President Mike Pence as well. <laughs> it's just it's really amazing to kind of think about those scenarios, not, not that that is necessarily likely. but Yeah, no, I, I see that as unlikely. Sure. In a minute or so, uh, what do you think the Democrats and Speaker Pelosi and Chairman Adam Schiff should be thinking about in terms of how they proceed with this investigation? What what sort of political considerations do you suspect they are weighing? Well, there's a, a debate right now um, within the, D- the Democratic caucus over whether or not they should hold a vote um, to formally endorse uh, an impeachment inquiry um, in response to the White House's charge that they didn't do it. Um, So I guess I think that one of the things they're going to have to and should think about is how much um, uh, involvement they want to give the Republicans in the House in this inquiry. Um, Do they want to give the Republicans the the, the opportunity to to issue subpoenas, to call witnesses and so forth? How open do they want to make that? Mm. Um, And, you know, that's, a, uh, I think, an important consideration. Among many. <laughs> and, uh, and with that, we uh, draw to this, uh, this, conclusion, uh, this uh, conversation to an end. But I am so uh, appreciative of you uh, taking time out of, I know, what is a really, really busy schedule to offer your, uh, your thoughts and perspectives on all of these matters. And uh, I have to say, I wish I was a fly on the wall for some of your classes because I have a feeling... Some of what happens in those classrooms is really interesting right now. Yeah, I think that uh, uh, young people are are concerned, worried, uh, and 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 paying attention. And 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 yeah, increasingly so. So um, there's one positive. There's one positive in uh, in a largely messy situation. (laughs) Dr. Jerry Mast, associate professor of of political science. Thank you again for being part of the morning show today. My pleasure, Greg.